Iowa everywhere. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Harmon Flags and Gifts presents Legends and Listeners with Scott Docterman and Chad Leistico. Fly them high and fly them proud. Find your flag at heartlandflags.com. Breaking down the Big Ten from the Channel Seat Studios, this is Iowa Everywhere. Hey, Hawkeye fans, Big Ten fans, and Iowans everywhere. Welcome to episode 26 of Legends and Listeners, a.k.a. the Tim Lester episode here on the Iowa Everywhere Network. My name is Chad Leistico, columnist for the Des Moines Register, coming to you from the Channel Seed Studios, and I'm thrilled to have some football-heavy conversation with my friend Scott Docterman of The Athletic here on this Wednesday morning show Full disclosure, Scott, we are recording this Tuesday evening after we heard from Tim Lester and others, but uh, excited to air Wednesday morning to kind of get this out there uh, fresh after the, the press conference on Tuesday afternoon in Iowa City. Scott, after the, just right off the top, what was your impression uh, from Tim Lester uh, during his, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes taking questions Tuesday afternoon? I liked what I heard, Chad. Um, I that My first impression was pretty positive. Now, I'm not going to suggest that he's going to, you know, reinvent the offensive football in Iowa City or anything like that. But I liked what I heard. I liked what he said. I liked how he constructs offense. I like that he's not married to a certain philosophy, but he also seems to be very committed to being aggressive. That was part of the tenets that he, uh, you know, brought out there be physical, uh, be disciplined, and be aggressive on offense. And I like that thought because it seemed a lot of the time that Iowa, and I think Iowa fans can agree to this, that once Iowa gets a lead, then it's like, let's take the air out of the ball. And, and, you know, now that doesn't necessarily mean try to score in the fourth quarter all the time. Sometimes it's take the air out of the ball then, but, but I liked what I heard um, in the big picture, in the narrow. Um, I think he fits. It, it was an interesting day, as you mentioned, Chad, just with, having a lot of voices. We had heard from Seth Wallace, the assistant um, head coach now. And then, uh, you know, Kirk Ferentz talked multiple times. Beth Getz talked. And then, of course, Tim Lester was kind of the star of the show, and rightly so. And and there's still a lot to work on. And I think I like the fact that he's not just coming in and saying, you know, we're going to do this and, you know, and have a Dean scream, you know, or anything. But, uh, you know, overall, I thought, we, uh, I thought we learned a lot. Yeah, what do you think uh... – what do you think he means by we're going to be aggressive at all times? That was his quote. Um, I'm curious how that marries with 
uh, you know, Kirk Ferentz's philosophy. You know, Kirk did say, hey, I'm open to anything right now that moves the football, including RPOs, which is your question. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know. Like, it just seemed like, oh, wow, this guy, they're going to be aggressive, like, all the time. They're going to run RPOs. Like, did he, like, check this off with the head coach standing over there? I mean, <laughs> it it all sounded, like, really encouraging off the top. Like, hey, this it felt different. You know, like, he talked about flexibility, for example, so much. That was a big theme of his press conference. And it's like, thank you. You know, we've been mm-hmm. watching, like, rigid – this is what we do. You know, even if there's nine men in the box, we're going to run the football. Cause even when everyone in the stadium knows we're going to run the football, which that thing drives me nuts. Yeah. This, this just felt refreshing. I'm interested to see if he can execute that, those words into reality. So what did you think that meant? Like being aggressive at all times? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a very, it's an ambiguous word because being aggressive to somebody may be, seem passive to another. And I'll use the phrase, you know, the thought of, you know, and I, in fact, I was starting to write that and I'm, I'm almost done with my story on this. And that is that, you know, aggressive doesn't necessarily mean you're up um, 20 to 13 with four minutes to go and the ball's on your 40 first and 10 and still throwing the football to score points. Aggressive could be a, st- a stylistic type of thing to take the ball out uh, take the air out of the ball or decide, you know what, it's second and 10. We're going to pass instead of run because we feel like there's an opening there. That's being aggressive. That's not taking three knees and punting like Iowa at Penn State or against Penn State a couple of years ago. So I there were some positives I took away from that. Um, you know, again, it, it's all going to come together because the head coach is going to have a lot to say about how aggressive you're going to be at certain junctures. But overall, um, just saying that word gives you a different vibe. And that's something we haven't experienced here in Iowa for a long, long time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, I'm also like, sometimes when people say, oh, we're going to be aggressive, I sometimes cringe a little bit because that's like, that's a word everyone wants to hear. Like, yeah, yeah let's be aggressive. Like, let's be aggressive. Yeah. You don't necessarily know what that means, but I'm like, I don't know. Is that like, Dan Campbell aggressive or uh, is it uh, is it just aggressive at the line of scrimmage? We're going to move people off the ball. Um, everything remains to be seen. But uh, in general, it just felt like a little bit of a different era had dawned here. Uh, a little more background on the hire itself, Scott, is the fact that, you know, Kirk said he talked to 10 to 12 people uh, for the job. He's six more extensively and then four like really extensively so he you know we know paul christ was obviously one of those names but uh they did he did land on tim lester he kind of spoke to the length of the process you kind of knew he would i guess like sort of justify the length that it took and how he needed to commit to december to for his team um so i don't know what did you think of all everything that kirk said before we get further into lester's comments on tuesday I, I thought it was fair. I didn't, you know, I, I, I didn't, I thought he volunteered information, which, you know, sometimes a lot of times he doesn't do, which is again, the, you know, kind of the process and the 12 and the six and the four. And, you know, those are things that, you know, he, he sometimes doesn't do. And I thought the, the fact that he did come up with those numbers and, and uh, you know, I thought was helpful, you know, it was, it kind of showed that it was fairly thorough and he had it kind of, 
divided into different you know quadrants or something like that. So that that part of it was okay. I, I thought you know I know a lot of people were hung up by what he said with Dolph uh, the other day. That seemed to be an, an issue that people were. F- kind of freaked out about. I I didn't see any of that today. I thought he was more open. He's never going to be very open. He's never going to discuss um, the way, even the way Brian did, you know, about different aspects of the offense or how he would do things. He would never do that. That's just not his person, you know, the way he does things. But I thought he was more open. Um, and now I don't know what that means, Chad, as far as, you know, how much – wiggle room he gives Tim Lester on the RPO versus zone read versus other types of things. And I, I think, you know, some of the, and we can get into all kinds of this, these aspects, but, you know, and I'm trying to swim through everything in my mind right now, which isn't easy, but overall um, I thought Kirk did a nice job of setting it all up. Okay. So um I'm trying to decide where to go from here. We didn't do as much show prep as we usually do because, like I mentioned, we're we're doing this not long. We're recording this not long after the Tim Lester conversation. But one thing I wrote about Scott, maybe we can dig into this, is uh, how he plans to uh, take. It seems like take from dis- different systems that he's been involved in, and I really, really appreciated uh, Tim Lester kind of detailing all the steps that he's. Uh, been through as a coach, um, including at Elmhurst, Illinois College, a Div- Division three school where he went 10 and two in his final season there. Um, and I, I guess, interestingly, I don't know if this might be like a little known fact, but like all those wins were like vacated that season by like some uh, some ruling, like some some ineligible player or something. But I don't think, mm-hmm. but it wasn't even like necessarily in football. I don't know, like it was like an athletic department thing. But anyway, they went ten and two his last year there. Ends up taking the the job at Syracuse the next year. But so anyway, going back to that, he said they ran. I found this interesting, Scott. They ran. He ran exclusively twelve personnel at Elmhurst. I did not know that. I would not. You know, that's not stuff you can find on the internet. Maybe you knew that, (laughs) but that was interesting to me because that is, as you pointed out in your question to Tim Lester, Iowa's kind of go-to personnel group. And we know that Iowa usually has at least two good tight ends. So uh, that seemed to jive, I guess, with the Shanahan offense that he likes to run and kind of what we talked about on last week's legends and listeners, like, Hey, can you look at the 49er, what the 49ers are doing and try to implement that with a guy that, uh, you know, Brock Purdy's not exactly Patrick Mahomes, but I don't know. I mean, Cade McNamara at least has some of those qualities, like a little bit of a quick release, some accuracy, you know, a guy that's aware, has experience. Um, I'm not saying, but it just seemed like I liked hearing that 12 personnel, Shanahan offense. He spent last year in Green Bay with the Shanahan system with Matt LaFleur, who he threw passes to while he was at Western Michigan as a quarterback. So right. a lot of things feel like they're just at least coming together in terms of what we can expect from this offense. I really like the varied background, Chad, that he had. As you mentioned, you know, Elmhurst, he was there five years right out of college and uh, ran exclusively 12 personnel. And, you know, he says, I love tight ends. I'm a huge fan. I can end up, I can see that ended up on a t-shirt from a company that should probably sponsor it. (laughs) But the, uh, 
that that to me is, is the hallmark. I mean, that's what Iowa is known for, tight end you. And uh, when you have even Travis Kelsey bringing up uh, that at the Super Bowl last night, let alone George Kittle, Sam Laporta, TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fant, uh, Luke Lachey this year, Eric All be in the draft. You know, you, you have such a rich tradition and pedigree. Uh, there and you just want to you know when you do have Luke Lachey you don't want to take him off the field and you have Addison Ostranga and you, you know he's probably as good as your third best wide receiver maybe better so you want to keep them on the field when you can and the fact that he's done that you know in his past not at Western Michigan as much but they were stronger at wide receiver and when they have Sky Moore and DS Gridge you know they that makes sense. So I think overall, the fact that he's ran these varied offenses at different places, and then this year as a defensive analyst studied all of these different uh, um, offenses each each week from Ben Johnson with, with Detroit, who is really good, to the great Luke Getze at Chicago, <laughs> the, the, the playoffs when they're dealing with Mike McCarthy and, and you know, in Dallas, and then also, uh, you know, Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco. There's a lot to learn. There's a lot to, oh, wow, I really like the way that play came together. And when you look at San Francisco, and I think that's one that can be emulated and should have been emulated. Not the verbiage, because the verbiage is like 15 German words in a row, which you know is like a, you know, the side of a wall. But but uh, it, it's but the fact is that they could use Kyle Juszczyk as a second tight end, the way they motion these guys around to the trade positions and then also get them in a position to run more effectively in a numbers game. Um, I think he could he could see that. And now could he incorporate it? He's got a wide playbook, but it's going to get narrowed very quickly. Well, it is Super Sunday uh, this coming weekend. 49ers versus Chiefs, as you referenced, but also Hawkeyes versus Cornhuskers in women's basketball. So Super Sunday is no better time to proudly fly the flag of your preferred team. And the place to get said flag is Heartland Flags and Gifts. They offer free shipping anywhere in the U.S. and always carries new products. Nearly every sport, every team, and every flag. Visit our good friends online at heartlandflags.com or in store at 3719 Southwest 9th Street in Des Moines. Uh, I will be stopping in at Heartland Flags on Thursday. Got a little uh, date over there to uh, do a little few things for the show. So uh, that'll be fun. Uh, so getting past Elmhurst, going to... Syracuse, he runs, he's kind of basically thrown into this spread offense there. And I also appreciated some more background about that time. Now you can research some of that time, Syracuse. Kirk Ferentz, uh, to my question, basically said he kind of discounted that time at Syracuse in the evaluation process that he preferred to look at the past eight years or so. So I think he compared that. He, he compared that both to his time at Maine and also 2023 Iowa, which was kind of funny. Yeah. He's like, yeah, you can't, you know, circumstances were so bad, you know, in those years, kind of like the last two maybe. So he's not counting that against Tim Lester when he was five and 14 as a play caller. Uh, but then he, and then, uh, Go to Purdue in 2016. He said he ran the New Orleans Saints Sean Payton offense with uh, mm -hmm. the Boilermakers for one year. And then, you know, of course, Western Michigan. We know his offensive coordinator was Kevin Johns the first year, but then his fingerprints took over in 18, running a more RPO game, Scott. And we mm -hmm. asked, you asked, I think a couple others maybe did as well, like how much RPOs can you run? So uh, it seemed like Kirk Ferentz was open to the RPO game. So I'm very 
and it's and I know Cade McNamara is capable of running that, um, where that and make those quick reads and throw those easy completions as we talked about last week. So, uh, what about RPOs? Do you, carrying into our from our conversation last week, how likely is it that that those get implemented with this team? He did reference them in his opening statement. Yeah, it's it's going to be a staple to this offense. I mean, you just don't mention it. You don't bring him on if you're not going to use it. You don't just say, um, you're, you're going to come here and then, you know, your quarterback's going to be under center, you know, 70% of the time and then shotgun the 30% and then, you know, hand off the ball as a draw type of thing. No, it's, it's going to be a staple to this. This is what he does. This is what he did there. I think Kate is more than, more than willing and, and able to run that when he's healthy. Um, you know, and I think Marco Linez could, could as well. And, you know, maybe even Deacon Hill. Like, you know, as far as there's really no quarterback run option is not is it's it can happen off of this, but it's not a mandate. It's not an absolute. And even later on, he was asked about it and he said efficiency was number one at quarterback and mobility was number two for him. And I know that was probably music to Kirk Ferentz's ears because that's the way he believes, too, out of this. But overall, I, I mean, you know, you look at Brock Purdy, you know, to me, I think the perfect quarterback for what he likes to do, it would be as somebody like Brock Purdy. And I don't want to bring up an Iowa State guy on an Iowa podcast, but but the fact is that he's really good at the mesh point. He's good at pulling out the ball, throwing slants. That's what you're going to run a lot of when, you know, because you're going to because it's easy when you, you're because you're going to be looking straight ahead or you're looking at a straight defender when, when you decide to pull out and throw and you've got to have quick release on that. And that's going to be a slant or a tight end. So overall, you know, I, I think there's a lot here, the Syracuse thing. Yeah. I appreciated his honesty and candor because it was a disaster. It was a disaster for him. It was a disaster for the program. And uh, you know, that, they were down to a walk-on quarterback and he got thrown in as an OC. That's not a good situation for anybody. You know, I, I don't care who you are. So, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know, you know, the Western Michigan stuff, Chad, how, I mean, what, what have you taken away? I know you've watched some video of him and, you know, and how he's coached. What have you taken away from his approach on offense and whether or not it, it can mesh with what Kirk Ferentz likes to do and wants to do? Yeah. Uh, I'm interested. I, I'm, I'm intrigued by what's possible. And uh, that's something that I wrote about in my column that's up at hawkcentral.com too, is uh, 2021. That's To me, that's the gold standard of what Tim Lester did at Western Michigan. Yes, they only went eight and five. It looked like one of those, as I kind of studied that season, Scott, it looked a lot like 2010 Iowa where they and they in fact they lost one game like 22 to 21 didn't Iowa lose one that year like by that score to Minnesota uh, uh, yeah so it was close it, to that yeah something like that and uh they, they like some of these games that they lost like you're like how did they lose them with these statistical profiles like there was some, there was one game where I think they gained uh yeah four no I'm sorry 445 yards of offense and lost to West Central Michigan, 42 to 30, uh, <laughs> with like great numbers, like 7.7 mm. uh, 7 yards per pass attempt. And then uh, you know, lose to Eastern Michigan with 10.6 yards per pass attempt. And like, it's like, how did you lose these games? But anyway, they beat Pitt that year. And there's so many good statistics from that season. They had 
they had the right. I asked Tim Lester about that season on Tuesday, and he said they basically had the trigger man that they needed, and they he's built <laughs> he built around the quarterback's strengths, and that year's quarterback, uh, Caleb Ellaby, is that how you yep. pronounce it? Uh, was an RPO guy, and he ran the RPOs really well. They had Sky Moore. I said, could Caleb Brown be that Sky Moore guy potentially? Maybe. I don't know. You know, um, he's got potential, and mm-hmm. we've seen him catch, have great hands and great speed. And maybe this is the year he takes that step. You know, and then uh, you know that the time of possession is what what I'm really looking at too. Is mm-hmm. uh, I was like, you know, they ran. They were fourth in the country in time of possession, 35-18. They had mm-hmm. a good run pass balance. And as Tim Lester pointed out, they did that with never huddling. They were behind Air Force, Army, and Minnesota in time of possession yeah. that year. So pretty remarkable and something you can maybe – I'm thinking just – again, we're looking at best-case scenario here, but that was a Tim Lester offense. I did ask him if he called the plays. It seemed like it was sort of a mix between him and the offensive coordinator that year. Maybe he didn't call the plays – they collaborated, right? Kind of like the Matt Nagy, uh, Bill, yeah. Laser, Bill Laser years <laughs> <laughs> in Chicago. Um, but uh, it was his offense. So you give him some credit for that. And uh, only 16 turnovers that year, 8.9 yards per pass attempt, uh, 4.7 yards per carry. You know, some some good – I like that part of the Western Michigan – resume and i also felt like he explained some of the 2002 struggles they had a new offensive coordinator that he let kind of take over the offense i'm not sure why he did but then he had to swoop in and kind of save the offense late in that year and they won a few games when he was calling the plays off offenses that wasn't even his so uh yeah. i don't know Th- that was kind of the western michigan uh, uh dissection from today i guess yeah he he brought up uh the last season you know i i don't know i think you asked about that or whatever the, oh, the 20- di yeah daily Iowa. yeah okay yeah, that was interesting yeah right the, the 2022 season and 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 he said you know hey i was trying to be more of the head coach the overseer and hired an oc who can kind of take over and he wanted to do things differently and it wasn't working and then he took over play calling late in the year and they won three out of the last four games he was still fired um you know which is unusual but We've seen that a million times where you have uh, an athletic director come in new, want to establish themselves and hire somebody else. You know, and Tim Lester, you know, he was a a very good player for Western Michigan, what, a four-year starting quarterback in the late 90s. So, you know, there's a lot of – you know, history there that's a little unusual. But as you said, you know, the the 2021 year, you know, the wins weren't – all there for for them but but as you mentioned you know they're fourth in the country in time of possession they were 17th in rushing I mean, they ran for 212 yards i mean if iowa could put up close to 35 yards or 35 minutes a game um of total offense and 200 rushing yards um then you know this team's going to indianapolis legitimately with a chance to win and uh, and then, of course, 466 overall, which was 12th in the country in, in total yards. And and, uh, you know, it was interesting. Uh, I think Kirk was asked, you know, kind of about his discussion about the um, total yards, you know, how he thought it was an overrated stat before. And then that was some of the things that were praised about Tim Lester and his bio. Of course, the bios are written not by Kirk Ferentz, but but I think overall, um, 
you know, and then watching them, you know, which is what I was really interested in is how did the offense come together? What were some of the key aspects that he can do that will work out of this? And, you know, I like the way he got his running backs in space, both in the run and the pass. I think they've been underutilized for a long time. Even last couple of years, it's like they ha- get the ball to your running backs or something, you know, and, and the way he did it was organic through the offense and it didn't look like it was a force. Uh, you know, the, the way that he used the whole field for passing the football, not just kind of flood concepts either to the boundary or to the, you know, whatever. I think he, in his, this case, he's more willing to kind of go beyond um, some of the other lines. And so overall I came away with him, his presentation feeling pretty positive again, we won't know until the third quarter against Iowa State, you know, and if it's if they've got three points and they, you know, are one and 12 on third down, then everybody's going to hate him anyway. <laughs> but but uh, overall today, February, you know, six slash seventh, I, I think we I feel pretty good. He's going to probably call plays from the press box. Yeah. That was an interesting little differential from his predecessor, Brian Ferentz, who, who was in the press box year one, had the tirade against the replay official yeah. um, and went downstairs uh, from 2018 on. But uh, he said he just feels like there's too much emotions on the sideline and um, he kind of likes being mm-hmm. uh, out of that and just sort of dissecting it like almost like, a I don't know, I don't know what his comparison was, but just sort of like just being a little detached and like, processing it a little bit better and seeing it from above. So I like that. So I'm curious to see uh, how that works. Uh, he, he really just seemed to focus on quarterbacks. Though. So he was asked about Cade McNamara. Hey, he's not going to be healthy this spring. So how are you going to you know, get him to learn this new offense? Well, Tim Blaster doesn't seem too worried about that, Scott. He said the experience that Cade has, he'd like I'd be more he said I'd be more scared, I think, or more worried if Cade didn't have that experience. But he does not seem too concerned about him soaking it in and understanding what they're gonna try to do. So uh did that sound good to you? Good enough. I mean, that's probably one area I'm not gonna you know, raise the flag, you know, or anything. I think overall it's, they're not dealt a great hand at quarterback right now. I mean, if Cade was healthy, then sure, you know, then you'd feel better about it, but he's not healthy and he won't be until at least late summer. And, and then uh, the, the two holdovers, one did not play very well and one has barely played at all. So um, I think they're just going to have to deal with it, but, but, but Cade is, is smart. He'll be around. He'll be a, He'll be at every practice and, you know, I'm sure he'll be able to walk, you know, so, so he, it's just not, he's going to be able to, to run everything. And uh, so I, I thought that part was, you know, I mean, quarterbacks, quarterback, it's the most important position on the field, but there's really not much he can, he can do about that. And, and he's got to install it for everybody. I mean, wide receivers, uh, they don't have a wide receiver coach now, Um they anticipate that soon. It sounds like, I mean, we, we know who it is. I mean, it's Sean Budmeyer and they're just not announcing it yet. And um, so, you know, I, I guess, you know, trying to come through everything because there was just such an overwhelming press conference. There's so much information and it's detailed and, you know, for a first time, it's kind of hard to, oh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, overall I, I came away with it thinking that, 
he's going to do a nice job for Iowa. Whether that's a good job, great job, I won't go there, but but I like what I heard so far. Well, Scott, I know you have an announcement to make. Do you want me to get into my thing first, or do you want to go? I'm going to go ahead and go here. All right, for the second straight week, we're going to give away two tickets and a $50 gift card to Kane Brown, his April 18th show at Wells Fargo Arena. And the winner this week is Matthew Stephanie. So congratulations on earning two tickets and a $50 gift card to Kane Brown on April 18th at Wells Fargo Arena. Congratulations on that. And I also want to take this opportunity to welcome DRF Sportsbook, a new partner and sponsor of Legends and Listeners here on the Iowa Everywhere Network. Uh, Since we are on Iowa Everywhere and DRF Sportsbook is exclusive to the state of Iowa, it's a perfect fit. They're running a promo this week where they're matching deposits up to $300 plus an offer of a free bonus bet on top of that. So deposit $300, get $300, and another bonus bet. That's a pretty good deal. I've been um, tinkering with the app a little bit myself to check it out. Super easy to navigate, better than some other sportsbook apps I've seen. Um, so that's exciting. And I did notice they even have some player props on college games. So that's kind of interesting. A lot of the other apps do not. Uh, Scott, I'm looking at some Super Bowl props this week on the DRF Sportsbook app. And I was going to try to pick one. I don't know if you've you've identified one. But the one I like the most is Patrick Mahomes minus 137 to pass for more yards than Brock Purdy. That's not a slight against the former Cyclone quarterback. It's more of a recognition that Kansas City has a good pass defense, and I think San Francisco will be trying to rend the football. I think they might get a lead against KC, and Patrick Mahomes is so good and uh, will be passing from behind, and I think that's why he's going to have more passing yards. you got to pay a little juice on it, but I still like, uh, I like Patrick Mahomes to outplay Brock Purdy in the Super Bowl. If you're looking for a flyer, Chad, and why wouldn't you be? I mean, we've been talking about tight ends, and there's a new offensive coordinator that says he loves tight ends. So I would go with the San Francisco 49ers tight end as MVP, George Kittle, plus 4,000. So can uh, George the Animal Kittle, (laughs) you know, put up a performance that earns him a – you know, earns him the MVP in the Super Bowl. I don't know, but four th- plus 4,000 odds, uh, you know, at that, at our new place here at DRF uh, Sportsbook, I'm, I might be willing to, to throw that one out there. Now, yeah, five bucks to win 200. Don't, not a, not a bad deal there. Um, what do you want to get into next, Scott? I've got a lot. I mean, we could go into Lester all day, but do you want to delve in that? We, we heard from others today as well. So I don't know what you're feeling right now. I'm going to, I'm going to throw it to you. Okay, Chad, you know, one other interesting aspect, I think, today was we heard from Seth Wallace for the first time uh, since he's been elevated to assistant head coach. And that's the first uh, assistant head coach Iowa's had under Kirk Ferentz's tenure. And, um, you know, he's had an interesting run. I mean, there's been four different Big Ten West schools that have have contacted him or talked to him or wanted him to be their defensive coordinator. And I think, you know, as a reward slash – way to keep him away from the enemy, you know, that they rewarded him, you know, they bumped up his salary to $1 million and then also uh, named him assistant head coach. And I, I'm curious as to what your thoughts are. Um, I asked the question to Seth as to what his future holds. Is this something he wants to do? And uh, I, I don't know, does this, 
does this provide a pathway to Seth Wallace in let's let's say three years, let's say 2027 that Kirk is retired? Would this put him in that position of either a being a, a possible successor or maybe the possible successor to Kirk Ferentz? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think it's I do think it's possible. I think it's more likely that um, this elevation, like you said, it's it's a reward. It's an it's a recognition that a lot of other programs are seeking his services um, because he's done such a good job. He, I mean, he really is essentially half a, a defensive coordinator for Iowa. Phil Parker has the title, deservingly so, but mm-hmm. because of Seth Wallace and his experience in being able to coach the run game and the pass game. He's got, he, he can marry those linebackers with the front and the back end. It really frees Phil up to coach the defensive backs. I mean, that is a huge luxury. And obviously Phil Parker's uh, track record coaching defensive backs is terrific. And so it's a perfect marriage. So keeping them together is worth the money. I mean, you're paying $2.9 million a year uh, to keep Wallace and Parker together, obviously, but certainly you would say that's probably money well spent the way Iowa plays defense. So that's my long-winded way of saying, I think it's more likely that, that, Seth parlays this into a head coaching job somewhere. Like maybe he goes power five and then comes back to Iowa someday, or maybe it is just the type of thing where it's like, Hey, uh, this thing's humming along and Seth's, I mean, Seth is a good, he's a good communicator. He's a guy, he's a great coach. He, he checks a lot of head coach boxes. He thinks like a head coach. His dad was a head coach at Grinnell College for a long time. Coach Grinnell to its best season in school history. Uh, I, I can't remember what year it was. 07 maybe or something like that. And um, I don't know. I just – I don't know if he's the successor or not. He may have to beat out Tim Lester after he wows everybody, right, um, you know, in three years. But, uh, you know, he's young. He's, he's still in his 40s. He's younger than us old dudes here, uh, mm. born in 1977, I believe. So, um, I don't know. Yeah, it's, I, I think it's, it's an interesting conversation, and it probably – we probably should mention in the, in the same breath, Scott, that LeVar mm. Woods is uh, in the process as we record this show of – having completed an interview for the special teams coordinator at with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So uh, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> that raises your attention. And uh, we know LeVar has had opportunities elsewhere, has mm-hmm. chosen to stay. Uh, I'm not going to jump without any firsthand knowledge to say, okay, because Seth was made assistant head coach, all of a sudden LeVar's job hunting. I think it's just possible that, you know, Var's checking it out. Maybe this earns him a raise to stay at Iowa. Maybe he takes that opportunity and just expands his horizons a little bit more. I don't know. What are your thoughts on the LeVar news? It is interesting because I did check it out. Um, there are four different people that they've interviewed, um, you know, including one internal, a couple of former um you know, special teams coaches. So I think it makes sense. It's a, it was a virtual interview. So kind of a get to know him, you know, and then, and uh, you know, I don't know if they reached out to him directly or, or what, but, but I think it makes sense for him to, to explore what may be out there because, you know, this stage in his career, he also wants to be a head coach. He, he told me that last summer and um, 
you know, uh, essentially what Kirk did with with Seth is said he's the he's the one that is the worthy of that title, assistant head coach. And and for Lavar, I you know I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I know he was interested in that title as well. And to not have it means that the path is sh- you know shut a little bit here. And so what does he need to do to do that? You know, is it the NFL? Is it continuing college? Is it to go somewhere else to be a head coach? Is it to stay here and and execute? I mean, there, there's a lot of questions here. And, and you know, you look at, you know, Kirk's not getting any younger. Um, you know, this year he'll be 69 years old. I mean, you know, that I, I've kind of put it on a – I'm not predicting him to leave, but, you know, he could leave about any time, you know. And so then you've got to make sure you are in, in the right order of, of things. So, um, you know, if he gets it, then that's a huge loss because he's had a lot of great – I mean, they've been as good as anybody in special teams for a long time, the last four to five years, and that's in all aspects. Um, and if he stays, you know, and maybe it's just a chance to explore his, you know, horizons a little bit, but – you know, I, I think overall that people like both coaches quite a bit. And I think having them both here is, has been, I mean, you've had some strong assistant coaches. Well, and it's also good to point out here, Scott, that, you know, Kirk Ferentz, we don't think will be naming the next head coach of the oh. football team. So, uh, yeah. So as you mentioned, maybe LeVar, if he does get that job, uh, for example, maybe that makes him more attractive as a, as a head coach someday coming from the end. That's what Kirk Ferentz did. He went to the yeah. NFL for whatever, what was it? You know, three years with the Browns, three with the Ravens and, you know, became a head coach. So, and he wasn't a coordinator either. You know, well, no. I mean, he wasn't like an a offensive coordinator or anything like that. So, um, you know, he made that jump from the NFL to head coach and that worked out well. So I know there's a lot of momentum in the community for LeVar as the next head coach as well. So, um, you know, maybe he's just positioning himself and it doesn't, maybe it's not even at Iowa someday, but there is, uh, it's interesting for sure. Uh, just that he's even interviewing for other jobs. So very notable. Um, anything else from Tuesday, Scott, that you wanted to point out before we get into a little bit of basketball talk? Not really. I mean, you know, again, it, 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 when you get into this now that now that we've allowed the speculation has kind of subsided, and and they they do need another you know wide receivers coach to make it final. Uh, but overall, um, I think you know I, I wanted to read mannerisms, and it, it looked like that you know Kirk kind of stood off to the side. He was kind of the MC, which kind of cracked me up. You know that he was introducing everybody, but. Uh, I'd really like to know what he really thinks. I'd like to put some truth serum to him because, you know, obviously his son was the one who was replaced and, you know, now here he is doing this, but um, how much does he want it to change? How much does he believe it needs to change or is it fine? And it just was fine the way it was. I don't know. You know, I I am anxious to, to hear more from him in the future, but overall I liked what I heard from everybody who spoke today. I think this is a, um, this is the style of play that if it, even if this year isn't the magical year, that I think in the future they've got their build, they're going to build something a little bit stronger. He, uh, Tim Lester did use the word fun. So that <laughs> there is a lot of Iowa fans out there that honestly, like just did not have fun watching the team last year, even though they won 10 games. And you know, that's what Kirk has been leaning on, even though they averaged 15.4 points per game. 
it was not fun to watch. It was hard to, it was far hard for us to watch. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, and then I would do the DVR Mondays, so that would make yeah, it. Yeah, I know. And I know you do. I know you watch the games too, but yeah. it's like, oh, I got to watch this like two or three times. Oh. Yeah, that between that and the Bears chat, you know, it was like three <laughs> times we were watching the same game there for a while. And yeah, yeah, as you said, I mean, 15 points a game. You know, can you imagine your team always winning 45 to 39 in college basketball? I mean, you know, that that's really what it's like watching this. Now, you can appreciate it, and I appreciate that some styles of football, and I can probably tolerate it better than anybody else when it comes to slow scoring, but you want to see it because of the defense exclusively, not because of the, you know, an impotent offense. And that's kind of where we were at, that just like, oh, you can't even complete a pass. And you'd see other teams like, you know, Michigan put up like 52 on Minnesota and Iowa – can't even get a yard. You know, it gets like 12 yards after halftime. And it's like, come on, you know, and, and that's frustrating. And that's not fun. It's, it's like, you know, and having everybody make fun of you and around the country and, you know, that that's not what it's about. You want to have fun. You want to be entertained. And I know Kirk kind of talked about, you know, the, kind of at the risk of the entertainment type thing. Well, yeah, but you know, it's, it's one thing to win 24 to 17. It's another thing to win always 10 to seven it's just it, you know it is an entertainment based sport and i know a lot of a lot of hawkeye fans are encouraged by what tim lester uh said on tuesday and what they heard from him what they've seen from him like in coaching videos or whatever those who have watched and but uh you know in my text group like there's still a lot of like, yeah, I just still need to see it though. I still need mm-hmm. to see it to believe it. And I think that's where we're all, that's where I'm at right now as well. Mm-hmm. I'm more encouraged about the Lester hire than I was initially. And I know you said that last week on this show as well. So mm-hmm. I feel like that, I think, I think that matches kind of some of the vibe that I'm seeing out there as well. Um, I really am. I mean, I feel like if he had stood up there on Tuesday and just kind of gave the company lines, you know, we're going to play field position we're going to do this. He didn't say that. He said, no. we're going to be aggressive. We're going to be fun. We're going to run RPOs. Uh, who knows if they're going to even huddle. So um, yeah. I don't know. It's just, it just all, it all sounds way better than it did like even Friday. Yeah. <laughs> when Kirk was talking to Dolph. Cause that did not, I'm, uh, I'm going to be serious. That did not sound super encouraging when Dolph said, are you going to give him the keys to the offense? He was like, well, there's certain parameters we have here and yeah, you got to, protect the defense and play field position. And I'm like, dude, you can't lose 31, nothing to Penn state and 26, nothing to Michigan and 35, nothing to Tennessee and think like, let's just keep playing field position. Yeah. (laughs) Come on. You got to move. You got to be a little bit more aggressive on offense. And it feels like Tim Lester understands that. Yeah. Yeah. You just did. You can do that once, once or twice a year, you know, you know, some of those traditional battles with Wisconsin or, you know, Penn state at home when it was three versus four and you take a knee and, you know, they, you know, at at midfield rather than even risking a handoff, you know, to, you know, so uh, overall, you know, you, I I felt better today than, yeah, is is conversation with Dolph. And that's things I've told people, you know, who kind of have been like freaked out. Look, just ignore Kirk on stuff like this. He, he's going to say what he says. It's like, you know, in 2012, I was asking about Micah Hyde and he was telling me about Jovan Johnson. And then in 2023, you know, you're asking about Jamari Harris and he's telling me about Micah Hyde and Jovan Johnson. It's like, 
you know, that sometimes he just makes you want to pull what little hair I have left out of my head. And, and, uh, and this is another one where it's like, <laughs> you know, don't be afraid to let the sun shine here, Kirk. You know, you can pull back the umbrella for once in a while. Well, Super Bowl Sunday is also, and Caitlin Clark record-breaking Sunday, per, perhaps, uh, is also a great time to give a toast to our listeners. Also a time to frequent our friends at Steeple Ridge Bourbon. Steeple Ridge delivers a high-quality, delicious drinking bourbon. If you don't find Steeple Ridge at your favorite re- favorite retailer, ask for it by name. Steeple Ridge is distilled, aged, and bottled in Iowa by Lonely Oak Distillery. Scott? It's always a good time to talk about the Iowa women's basketball team and Caitlin Clark. Uh, man, I was so thankful that I made the trip out to Maryland because that was one heck of an atmosphere. And Iowa had to face down a really hostile crowd, uh, several surges by Maryland to win that game. They moved to 21-2 and two on the season. Caitlin Clark now within 66 points as we speak of Kelsey, a tough breaking Kelsey Plum's record. Mm-hmm. She's pro- I mean, as long as Iowa like go, you know, I'm not going to say they're automatically going to the final four. They're far from that. But if they go to the final four, that's five NCAA tournament games. If they make the NCAA or I'm sorry, the Big Ten tournament final, that's another three postseason games. She could hit thirty nine hundred points, maybe even four thousand in four years, Scott. Um, she's going to shatter Kelsey Plum's record as long as she stays healthy. No question. And as, as impressive as that is, I mean, she's only 20 assists shy of a thousand in her career. She's the Big Ten all, uh, all-time record holder in that regard. So when you look at the Big Ten record book, it is going to be purely Iowa at the end of this year. You got um, whatever Clark ends up with points-wise. I mean, Megan Gustafson has uh, the most rebounds and double doubles, and then you have Caitlin Clark has the, the most assist points and triple doubles. Um, you know, she's. Second in triple doubles is Sam Logic. Uh, you know, it's it's just remarkable how much Iowa's been able to do, and this is all in the last ten years. Um, but C- Caitlin Clark is is a different player altogether, as we know. And you got to see the the Caitlin Clark effect in, in out in um, Maryland. And what was what was the crowd breakdown, Chad? What did it look like? Was it just simply a um, pro Maryland crowd, or was it, uh, you know, 10, 15, 20% of them Iowa fans? I I would almost say there's probably, it was like 30% Iowa. Um, mm. I, there was a lot of Iowa fans there. And, um, you know, there was a couple pretty strong sections. Maybe I'm over exaggerating, but I'd say 25 at least. And, mm. uh, but the, but the Maryland fans were loud. I mean, the students were there. Uh, there's, I don't, uh, you've covered a, a men's game there before, right? That student yeah. section is impressive. I mean, that's yeah. a, it's a boisterous crowd, and they were there. They were revved up. They were booing Caitlin Clark the second she touched the ball from the first possession of the game, and uh, they didn't really let up. She threw up one air ball. They let her hear it on that, and that crowd was going – that was as loud as I've heard probably a women's basketball crowd outside of Carver maybe uh, when they tied it at 76 all in the fourth quarter. And Caitlin Clark steps up and hits a three and then dishes the pass to Sydney Fulter for another two, and – Iowa finally kind of puts it away. Molly Davis with the big clinching three at the end to to put the nail in the coffin. But yeah, it was a really amazing atmosphere. I mean the 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 lines outside the stadium two and a half hours before the game. It's I mean it's constant now. It's just it's such a it, it's such a remarkable thing to just see. And I keep going back to the basketball part of it. Is like 
this team's getting every opponent's best shot when they go on the road. Because Maryland, playing for basically a future Hall of Fame coach, mm-hmm. you know, they have athletes. They've got good players. Their best player came back from injury. They played really well. And Brandon mm-hmm. Freese even acknowledged, yeah, this was like probably one of our best performances of the year. They still lost to Iowa and needed a three-pointer just to get it under double digits at the buzzer. So right. this, this Iowa team is so impressive in a lot of ways right now, Scott. The maturity it has has been a separator this year to last year. I mean, you know, they are they were better in the post last year. I mean, as far as Monica Zanano being pretty automatic and scoring, but but the way that they're able to to play with maturity, with poise, no matter the score. I mean, to to give up, you know, to be up eighteen and then give up a twenty-one to three run uh, was like, oh my gosh, you know, this is. Uh, and in that environment, as you said, it came through on television. It, you know, you, you could tell that it was a great crowd. And and then knowing the history, you know, Lisa Bluter never won there. Maryland has a great tradition. Um, this is a down year for them, but they killed Iowa last year by what thirty or whatever it was out there. I mean, just blew them out of the water. Um, but for Iowa to hey you shake it off, you know, and then go out and and put together their own little run and and then. Maryland couldn't keep up pace wise. Um, it really says a lot about the way they are, because as you said, you know, Northwestern best shot that they had, I mean, sold out arena fans everywhere, you know, for the Caitlin Clark effect. I mean, it's like that everywhere they go, Nebraska will probably be very hostile. I would imagine on Sunday, it's a hostile arena to anything. Caitlin Clark anyway, I mean, a fan base. So this will, this will be interesting here, but you know, the, the one thing that I can't get over, Chad, is, you know, we grew up, we're, we're kids of the 80s. Um, we remember, you know, probably vaguely the the Ronnie Lester team, maybe a little bit before our time. But the Hayden Fry teams went to the Rose Bowl, the, the great 86-87 men's basketball team. All those teams are still kind of etched in our memory. Um, that's what these these women are doing for the next generation of young girls. When you go there and you see arenas, whether it's in Maryland and, and Evanston or in Iowa City, and you see all these girls who now have somebody to look up to, somebody who looks like them, somebody who, who's passionate about their sport and so successful and does it with swagger and swagger and grace and the way she comes across and they they're proud to wear her shirt. And this is this is a NIL factor too. They can wear it now. They never could before. Now they can wear Clark 22. And to see that, you know, Chad, we've seen these uh, reunions where the the 1980 team is uh, comes back to Carver and everybody stands up and remembers them and stuff. That's what it's going to be like for these young women, no matter what happens this year. When you see in 20 years when Gabby Marshall and Kate Martin and Caitlin Clark, of course, come and wave their hands and everybody stands up and cheers. And there's going to be all these young women. A lot of them will be mothers, but they'll all be, you know, they'll be professionals. They'll be doing their own thing. And they're going to be so proud of when I was 14 years old. I couldn't wait. I loved going there and maybe they still have their, their shirts, you know, or maybe they don't, but maybe they, it's just, that to me is su- such a neat thing. It's a lot like Tiger Woods, you know, in, in the late nineties, just the phenomenon. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really inspiring to watch it and chronicle it. That was beautifully said. I'm uh, 
At a loss for words. That was that was awesome. That'll have to be one of our clips we send out because it was so <laughs> good. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, like you touched on, I mean, this team is just so likable. It's just mm-hmm. they're so likable. I mean, they always are. I mean, going back to even pre-Gustafson, but like the Gustafson mm-hmm. teams in 19, yes. that so, I mean, just such a enjoyable group of players. And uh, you, know, you just go down the line. I mean, Molly Davis is like the new yeah. fan favorite right now. Yes. The headband and everything yep. like that. And, uh, you know, Folter's really gaining a following. Right. Uh, Hannah Stulke, Gabby Marshall, of course, has her, you know, and, and Kate Martin are already c- celebrity stars in, in addition <laughs> to uh, to Caitlin Clark. But it's just a, a really fun team. Everyone loves Lisa Bluter. Everyone loves Jan Jensen. And you got to give those two and the rest of the staff a ton of credit because they've t- they've taken they've done what Tim Lester is going to try to do. Scott, we've we've brought it full circle, taken the pieces that they have. They didn't have the big post player, the dominant post player like they had last year. In fact, they lost two of them mm-hmm. with Sonano and McKenna Warnock, and they found a way to build this team into something really dominant, the mm-hmm. best record through twenty three games of the Lisa Bluter era. They're playing small and they're out rebounding teams by nine and a half a game. They out rebounded yeah. Maryland forty eight to thirty two. Mm-hmm. I mean, and they're letting Caitlin Clark shine. So like a great coaching job, uh, just top to bottom. This is a really fun team to watch, and I'll I'll finish there. Yeah, oh, I'll tell you this that I don't know if Lisa Bluter will win Coach of the Year because there's an expectation that she should be there, but I believe she should. Because when you do have these expectations and you're still able to manage them, and then, as you said, you know, go you go to these arenas, there's a target on their back. You know, when they go to Wisconsin, which averages 4,000 fans, and there's 14,000 there, and you go to, you know, Maryland for their fourth ever sellout at the Xfinity Center, and and then you look at their statistics – um, you know, they're number one in scoring offense by a, a large margin. We know that. But they're also number one in field goal defense in the Big Ten. That's something nobody would have expected out of this team. You know, that, um, you know, and then a, they're number one in free throw percentage. And, you know, number two in rebounding margin and assist to turnover ratio. So they're doing it in every way possible. And the one thing I really appreciate is and I know you got you know things going on but one thing I really appreciate is that with uh, when everybody like me and you and everybody else is going you know they, they probably screwed up by not getting a post in the transfer portal they decided we're going to go small and guess what You're, you can't defend us and and what I see out of this team is that no matter what people can't keep up they start making shots and then they get pressure, and that's why they're missing all these shots. So uh, kudos to Lisa Bluter and this program for, you know, getting us through a winter. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, busy week of Hawkeye sports ahead. You got the men at 6 o'clock on Thursday against Penn State, the women at 8 o'clock at home against Penn State. Uh, then the BTN documentary, you might see me on there yeah. uh, after the game. Uh, and our friend Dennis from uh, Hawkeye Images. Uh, that'll be a fun one. Uh, I don't I have no idea what I'm going to sound like on that. I'm very nervous about <laughs> about it. Well, I'm sure they did a good job. We'll see. Hopefully, they made me look okay. And then, uh, as as we mentioned, we got the Sunday game, Iowa Nebraska uh, at noon. Uh, the Iowa men host Minnesota, I believe, at two. two. And then you got Super Bowl, the Super Bowl at five thirty. Niners Chiefs got Kittle Purdy. 
a lot of uh, fun stuff uh, for Iowans to watch in the coming days. Scott, great show today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chad. <laughs> I did. I'm not happy with that. Thank you, Iowa Everywhere, for having us. For Scott Dodgerman, this is Chad Meistico. Appreciate you catching us a day early for Legends and listeners from the Channel Seed Studios. And we will talk to you next Thursday here on the Iowa Everywhere Network. Iowa Everywhere.